Welcome to Let's Review RN. My name is Bryn O'Donnell, and I'm a certified adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. I work as a cardiology APN and function as a visiting professor and clinical instructor for a BSN program. This is an independent production by myself, and I am not representing any educational institution. My goal is to deliver a condensed but robust review on topics primarily discussed in Adult Health 1 and 2 and some pieces of pharmacology of a bachelor degree nursing program. Over the years, I've learned that students have an immense amount of confusion and questions when they leave didactic, which makes applying what they are learning nearly impossible to the clinical setting. I want to break down the basics so that you can continue to build upon your knowledge and put the pieces together. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Review RN. Today, we're going to continue our discussion on shock. I recently spoke about two different types of distributive shock, including anaphylactic shock caused by the introduction of an allergen resulting in a systemic reaction and histamine release, as well as I also talked about neurogenic shock, which is a type of shock resulting in hypotension, often with bradycardia caused by disruption of autonomic nervous system pathways. Today, I'm going to talk about hypovolemic shock, which is an emergent condition in which severe blood or other fluid loss has occurred. Patients have lost at least 15% or nearly a fifth of blood plasma, leading to reduced tissue perfusion. This makes it impossible for the heart to pump a sufficient amount of blood to the body, which can lead to organ failure. Fluid volume in the intravascular system, which is the space that contains blood and fluid volume in the circulatory system, has been severely diminished. This reduces cardiac output and severely deprives our cells, tissues, and organs of oxygen and nutrients. Causes of hypovolemic shock include any cause that results in blood or fluid depletion from the body or a shift of fluid inside the intravascular space to other areas of the body. Relative hypovolemic shock refers to specifically when that volume loss is collected or leaking into other areas of the body, such as internal bleeding, third spacing of fluid as seen in severe burns, when fluid leaks into that nearby tissue due to increased capillary permeability. Long bone fractures can cause fluid loss because they are very vascular. Severe dilation that we see during sepsis or even damage to organs can cause intravascular volume loss, such as damage to organs in your belly, including your spleen, liver, or kidneys, which can occur during a motor vehicle accident. Absolute hypovolemic shock is when the fluid is visibly leaving the body, whether that be from an injury and massive blood loss is occurring or severe vomiting or diarrhea is causing hypovolemia due to the loss of water and fluid through the GI tract. Excessive urination as a side effect of high-dose diuretics can cause significant fluid loss or even excessive sweating, which is likely caused by an endocrine disorder. So signs and symptoms. So when the patient has depletion of circulatory volume, this results in low venous return to the heart, which in turn reduces cardiac preload, leading to reduced stroke volume, thus leading to reduced cardiac output. Remember, cardiac output equals heart rate times stroke volume, and with low cardiac output, cells, tissue, and organs are lacking oxygen and nutrients. 
organs will be deprived of oxygen and therefore they will switch from an aerobic metabolism to anaerobic metabolism, resulting in lactic acid buildup and decreasing the pH of our blood, resulting in acidosis. So in turn, the body will try to compensate for the low stroke volume by increasing the heart rate to increase that cardiac output. So let's talk about classes of hypovolemic shock. Hypovolemic shock is classified class 1 through class 4, with class 4 being the most severe. So class 1 is when 15% of your total volume is lost. Your blood vessels narrow slightly to keep blood pressure up, your heart rate is normal, and your body makes as much urine as usual. Class 2 is when the body has lost 15-30% to of its total volume, your heart rate rises, Your body starts to pull blood away from your limbs and intestines and sends it to those vital organs like your heart and your brain. Your blood pressure and urine are regular, but you may feel some anxiety due to elevated heart rate. The RAS system will be activated, causing the release of angiotensin II to cause vasoconstriction and aldosterone to help reserve or reabsorb sodium and water. Class 3 is when 30-40% to of the blood volume is lost. Your blood pressure drops, your body stops making as much urine, your limbs become cold and clammy, and your skin is pale. You may become confused or flustered, compensatory mechanisms will start to fail, and you will see that severe hypotension and elevated heart rate, as well as rapid respiratory rate and decreased perfusion to the brain start to occur. Class 4 is when more than 40% of your blood volume is lost. Patient is now likely comatose or near death, and fast treatment is crucial. So let's talk about nursing interventions and treatment. Treatment includes replacing fluids in the intravascular space to help increase preload, that stroke volume, and ultimately cardiac output. Fluids will be ordered by the physician, and the nurse will be administering and monitoring the patient's response. It's also important to correct the underlying cause, which may include surgery. Fluids to replace volume loss can include crystalloids, which include normal saline or lactated ringers, also referred to as LR. We need to be reassessing patients for fluid overload when we are fluid replacing them. Let's always keep that in mind. With crystalloids, we use a three-to-one rule, which means when we replace fluids, we replace with three times the amount of volume lost. So if a patient has lost one liter or 1,000 milliliters of volume, we would replace with 3,000 milliliters or three liters of normal saline or LR. Colloids can be used and they do not diffuse through capillary walls and therefore less is used to replace that fluid volume that's been lost. One last thing to remember with large amounts of fluid replacement is that we should also warm the fluids, and this will help keep the patient warm so that they do not go into hypothermia, which can lead to changes in clotting factors and cause further problems. Lastly, we can use blood or blood products to help replace replace fluid loss. Blood contains hemoglobin, which is helpful because it carries and circulates oxygen to vital organs. So when we look at nursing interventions, we want to make sure they're getting oxygen. So supplemental oxygen with titration if necessary. Circulation is something we're always going to be looking at. So is there active bleeding? Are we holding firm pressure or activating any emergency response systems? 
Perfusion, we're assessing that. We're assessing perfusion to the brain. So assessing mental status. We're assessing vitals. Are they making urine? What is the patient's capillary refill? Patients should have adequate venous access with at least two IV sites of at least an 18 gauge for rapid fluid replacement. A Foley catheter may be valuable for accurate I's and O's. Hemodynamic monitoring may be necessary in the ICU, so we can monitor CVP, which is central venous pressure, and be sure to only replace fluids to a stable amount and not overload the patient. Patients will also benefit from modified Transdellenberg position, which is supine with their feet in the air about 25 degrees to help with venous return. We will be monitoring lab values, including lactic acid levels, ABGs, electrolytes, and we'll also be monitoring their CBC for their blood count. I hope you all enjoyed today's podcast. Again, you can always find me at Let's Review RN on Facebook and on Instagram. And if you have any questions or want a topic to be discussed on the podcast, you can always email me at letsreviewrn at gmail.com. This podcast is for general information review purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or nursing. The use of this information or any materials provided by Let's Review RN are at the user's own risk. This content is not intended to be a substitute for educational teachings through students' educational institutes or organizations.